Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Amen. God bless you. So wonderful to be in church today. Praise God. I so appreciate the opportunity. I know I say it a lot, but I'm in contact with so many people around the world who do not have a church to go to. They can't wait to be able to go to a computer or a laptop or whatever and be able to stream whether here or whatever service minister that it would be. Those who live in jungles and live in deserts and wherever more, I'm just so grateful that the Lord made a way where I'd be able to go to church and be there in the house of God with the saints, won't you? Let's turn today, if you would, Ephesians chapter 4. Also received a text from Brother Tim Burdett before I came out, and he had been sick with the COVID. I think Brother Louie had requested prayer for him. Also, Brother Tim's, one of his grandchildren had been pretty sick this week, and the Lord had moved moved from him and, and the child, so we're so thankful for that. Brother Tim wanted me just to send his greetings to you today. Been about four weeks since they've been able to have church there in South Carolina, so they're streaming us today. I just wanted you to greet you. Let's read together Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through um, verses 24. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Hamil believes there's something that we have to do once we receive the grace of God. Something applied to our lives and there's all types of things. Many people categorize them as do's and don'ts and all that sort of thing, but we know that there's things that we must do in our walk with God. Let me read you this from Souls in Prison again, paragraph 45. So therefore he has partnership, you see, and taken this man earthly and this eternal spirit and put it together. Because God reflected himself back in that. So here is the great work of condescension of the Almighty. That the eternal would embody himself in a body of time. And call that body of time Jesus. So this is the human redemptive name of God. Jesus Christ. By this name we are saved and we are delivered. We're baptized into it. We pray for the sick. Cast out devils. Notice this, because God reflected himself in that. Then he become a man when he become Christ Jesus. And he was God. Not one of the gods, but he was God. See, God was in Christ. That sea lived in him, reconciling the world to himself. And through that perfect man, each one of us imperfect that believe in God and has accepted that becomes the perfection of him. 
we could say amen and go home and say it's been good to be in church. That is an absolute marvel, is it not? A miracle. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, how could we ever express enough gratitude and appreciation the way you allowed your prophet to be able to condense the mystery of God, which had been hid for thousands of years, and yet be able to bring it together in this one quote. It's phenomenal to us. We thank you for it, Lord. We are so grateful that you were willing to become this, that we might become you. You wanted us to become you ever since man fell from being you. And there must be a way for you to be able to bring us back. The only way was that you would have to become us. And if you would become us, we could turn around and become you. We thank you for that today, that you have partnershiped yourself with us. Lord, we certainly desire to do everything that is in our partnership. We understand a little bit about business and many business people here in the church, and they would know it better than myself and maybe others. But if we're dealing in a partnership, and if it's a 50-50 partnership and someone will give 50% of the backing and the other one will give 50% of the backing and they will make joint decisions, they will decide on this and that, that's a partnership. So you partnershiped us with you. You paid it all. You bought it all. And then you simply offered us a part of the partnership. We couldn't even buy nothing in this great partnership. But you, after you paid for it, you gave us a partnership with you. I pray you'd help us today, Father, to do our part in this partnership. May we be faithful to the end of all the things we could hear in life and hear thereafter. To a real believer, the greatest things, Father, is to hear you say, well done. Help us today, Father, as we open our hearts to your presence and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It makes it very difficult whenever we are born the way that we are naturally. And God wants to help us to see that we are actually more than we are born. There's many types and shadows in the scripture that God would use his prophets, his messengers, even the priest of the Old Testament to help the people understand in a greater way what God had called them to be. It must have been very hard for the children of Israel when they were a very small group of people. They were not a large tribe. There was not many of them when God called Abram. There were not many of them actually when they went 
down into the land of Egypt. But in the land of Egypt, they begin to grow and multiply. And it must have really affected their mindset of being slaves and being sold into slavery. They didn't have much free time. They didn't have freedom of religion to be able to worship God as he had taught them to do. It must have taken not only Moses, but Joshua as well, to be able to change their thinking of who they were. They, even though they walked out on that great happy day, when God moved on Pharaoh's heart and he said, leave, get out, don't come back. In their bodies, they were free, but in their minds, they were not free yet. You know, for many of the people of God, being called to help deal with people and their sorrows and their troubles, and many people that are scarred, and many people that deal with many things that they inherited and things that were caused to them by other people, you realize that much of what we are and what we bear is negative and so against us. Sometimes it can take years for a person to become fully purged and washed and cleansed of a negativity that they have that's enshrouded their lives and held them captive. The children of Israel are certainly an epitome of that, being there for 430 years. Uh, bodily, they walked out one day and they could have said, we're no longer slaves. But you watch them and how they act, how they treat the promise of God, how they treat the prophet of God, how they treat the promised land. And you realize they're still slaves. They're not so much slaves of Pharaoh anymore, but they're slaves of their own thinking, slaves of their own making. They would have resented from that day on to be called the slaves of Pharaoh. Some of you today, you are certainly no longer the slaves of marijuana, slaves of alcohol, slaves of a denomination, but you're actually the greatest slave you've ever been in your life because you're a slave to yourself. You see, when ourselves becomes our taskmaster, it is one of the hardest ones we'll ever break from because we become enslaved by our makeup, by our attitude, by our mentality. It's the way of man to see the wrong in others and to make excuse for the wrong in himself. This is why husbands and wives argue, why that brothers and sisters and friends and people will fall out because of such varied dispositions and difference of views. And it's so easy for us to see the faults in so many others and so hard for us to see our very own. I know we say it, we quote it, and you all will no doubt nod your heads when I say it, but you all, as well as I, 
am my greatest enemy. And you are yours. Now see, most of you can agree to that. But when it really comes to acknowledging that part of yourself that is your enemy, that's the part we would go in defense for. We will defend our emotion. We will defend our belief. We will defend our opinion. We will defend this and that and the other. One of the hardest things we can ever do is to be able to fully admit how wrong we really, really are. Even to this very day, I'm sure there's still so much wrong about each and every one of us. I'm talking about smoking. I'm talking about visiting porn sites that you shouldn't do it. No, many times it's not that sort of thing. It's our stubbornness, our hard-headedness, our inability to forgive others, even sometimes when they don't ask you to forgive them. Everybody must come in our designated way. And if they don't, well, we just flat don't receive it. And you see, we still need to be reshaped and brought from the slavery of our own selves in the way that ourselves has brought us into this captivity, which is a certain mysterious form of captivity ourselves. And to realize that God always knew this about the human being. Man in the beginning was certainly not made this way. He was not inept to this, this inclination that came after the fall. But man was so adapted to the divine image of God that man, if you can imagine it, man actually had to learn to become a new slave. Man had to learn this negativity that he would soon move into. By the fall, there was certain something about him that no doubt came autonomously with this fall. But there was an element of it that must become a learned behavior. So is it once we are reborn and become children of God, as Paul has already alluded to it in several places that we've read, that the new birth is something that transpires from the inside once the soul has been changed. But much of our thought patterns, much of our behavior, much of how we conduct ourselves is a learned behavior which will come as the power of God overpowers the natural inclinations of the natural man. You see, this is the part that even some message preachers struggle with. As if though when a person becomes born again, that the outside, the inside, the soul, the spirit, every part of you is totally born again. I want you to show me that from the Bible and from the message of the hour. I'll show you where you are changed from the inside and this outside cucklebird will be an enemy as long as you're there and it will bother you every day of your life, but the good part about it is, it bothers you. Now, it is that part that it seems so hard for people to be able to differentiate between, and they want to put it as though that you are compromising if you preach that the soul has been changed and the body is still yet, the members of it are still susceptible to that carnal realm that we are all born with. The prophet tells us over and over again about himself that William Branham was the greatest enemy that he had. Either we believe that or we think he was joking us. I firmly believe he was telling the truth. 
because William Branham was actually William Branham's greatest enemy. And the day you and I actually can come to that spot to not just say it, but to embrace it and renounce ourselves and renounce that part of ourself that is contrary to the divine part and the soul, we are on our way to the ultimate victory, which is not victory over cigarettes. Don't you understand why Satan wants us to do this? Because we will constantly put our shortfalls, our pitfalls, our things that we cannot overcome. Well, if it wasn't for Winston's, and if it wasn't for vodka, and if it wasn't for Jim, that is not your problem. Your problem is yourself. If you lived right in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and there was camel, there was pale mail, everywhere you looked and everywhere you smelled, they was all around you. You could walk out of there and live a victorious life every day of your life free from smoking, dipping, chewing, or any other form of tobacco. Praise the Lord. If you live right in the middle of the community where Jim Beam is made and Old Crow and Johnny Crow and all the rest of them alcoholic beverages, if you have been delivered from that in your soul, you could walk right by it in the name of Jesus and say, it used to bother me, but it don't bother me no more. Or you can blame them bunch of devils for selling alcohol. Well, they're the reason I ain't where I ought to be with God. Put the finger where it belongs. It belongs on you. Now it takes the gospel and God knows that it takes many years for God called ministry to be able to shape us. And we know that God has the same pattern in every age and that is that he sends a God called messenger. And that messenger will catch the revelation or the light of God for that age. And then other men which are called to fit underneath his call, they will catch that same understanding, not a new one. They are not called to add to what the messenger messenger said. They are not called to improve on what the messenger said. They are not called to go in and pick out, well, this was human and this was divine and this was opinion and this was this and this and that. Any man who thinks he's called to do that is deceived. He's not born again. You see, the true men of God know their place in this day and they know there's not a one of them in this hour that will ever walk higher than the prophet of God. They know they are not called to receive a revelation from God that is superior to what the messenger of the age received. Yet many of them are called to go out and they will say only what the messenger has spoken. And whenever they do, it is actually an extension of his own ministry reverberating out of them. Now, I hope you understand that really the true ministry is not the ministry of Donnie Reagan. It's not the ministry of William Branham. It's not the ministry of Paul or Peter. It is actually the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, this is why anybody that denounces the fivefold ministry are denouncing the Lord Jesus and they are antichrist in principle. Because it's not the continuing ministry so much of William Branham or the continuing ministry of, of Donnie Reagan or Wes Willis. It's the continuing ministry of the Lord Jesus in the body. Now, God typed this, of course, in many ways in the Old Testament, and whenever he sent Moses out to bring the people out, we know it was one battle after another after another. Fighting Pharaoh was much easier than once he got out there and had to fight his own church people. 
So now once they were delivered from Pharaoh, when God said, look on this enemy today, you'll see them no more. You know what? Happy days were right down the road, so they thought, until the enemy moved right in among them and started bringing division and fussing and fighting and arguing and debating and so on right in the message of the hour. Is that right? Now, if all of it was to slow down the progress of the people of God finding their designated position in the word. So when the spies went over into the land and they come back with a mixed report and they said, well, surely it's a land that flows in milk and honey, but we saw giants there and this and that and the other. So they are there to devalue the promised word of what God had told Abraham many years prior to this and also what God had called Abraham to to lead the people to by faith, Moses is gonna now take them in physically, not just by faith, but physically and give them the land. So when these 10 spies come back, they devalue the land by bringing up a negative report. Now, instead of saying, oh, the land is there, it's a great land. It's a wonderful land. Let's go get it. No, you see, they added a little bit just to devalue the promise. Now, I hope you understand, friends, every preacher stands in such a scary, frightful position in preaching the message of the hour to be able to take the message of this end time, align it, of course, with what God has already done. I believe that we're following a vindicated prophet myself. Uh, It's not my place to vindicate God's prophet. God already done that. But I have an awesome responsibility as does every other man that carries the gospel and that is to take the words of this prophet of God and never try to bring them or make them above what he made them or at the same time to never devalue them and bring them below what he said and take away from them the anointed value of what God intended for them to be. You see, Satan has done that in every age and that is he would try to explain away the value of the promised word of God. So what does that tell me? That Satan then wants to devalue your promise. So then if you would look at the message of the hour and you would hear the prophet of God say something, if Satan cannot stop you from believing it and accepting it that it was from a prophet, then he will try to devalue that promise and say, well, actually that is just his opinion. And really, the Bible doesn't say that. And so really, that's just an opinion. Well, now, listen, what Satan has just been able to do to you is devalue that quote or pages of quotes, whatever it is, to where that you no longer look at that as part of the message of the hour. But in your mind, you have devalued that and you've set it over here apart from the message and you really don't look at it as being important. Then you will look at other quotes of whatever your ideology is, and then you will say, oh yes, that's the word of the Lord, that's the word of the Lord, that's the word of the Lord, but this is opinion, and this is advice, and this is this, and this is that. Now, now my problem with that is, I wanna see your license to where you were licensed by God 
to be able to read in the same message that I read and you have a private license from God that allows you to pull out certain quotes and certain ideas and your license verifies that you can say this is no longer a part of the message but this is opinion and you've got a green marker for opinion quotes and you've got a yellow marker for advice quotes and you've got a pink marker for invalid quotes. I want to see your license now. Show me, please. Any of you preachers that'll hear this, I want to see yours. Well, if you don't have them, you can forget me paying any attention to you. You're nothing but a chatter, 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 chipmunk. I personally don't want a chipmunk in the pulpit. I want a God called man. Now maybe you like feeding on chipmunks, I don't. They're very annoying. When you're turkey hunting, when you're squirrel hunting, when you're deer hunting, they'll watch you in a tree stand, and if you move, they spot you. And when they spot you, they start chatter, 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 chatter. They'll run up and down the tree, they'll run over in the log, and they'll run behind you. How many times have I sat there and took my gun and barreled right down on that little feather and knew they wouldn't be enough to even mount on a two-by-two board if I blowed him away but he's aggravating and he just chatter 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 well that's the way a lot of the preachers have been around the message they just chatter 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 and they want you to follow them and they want you to come over here and do what they say I am not interested in chatter chatter I want the word of the Lord now as ministers and as laity as well we will fight this battle, if you haven't realized it already, it will be a constant onslaught from the time that we embrace the full light of, of the word of God of the day. Until we are changed, it will be Satan constantly trying to devaluate those things which you need. Now, no matter how many times that the prophet would say it, if you have somehow been connected by someone who devalues that and takes that, we'll say from worse, $100 to 25 cents, it may no difference how many quotes that I would give you on the same subject you're just going to mount them up to 25 cents because they're really not that valuable to you because you're looking at that opinion, 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 advice not important, not important, not important so no matter how much that God would want to speak to you through those things, the value is no longer there. It's the same if you think all you have to do is listen to tapes and you don't need to hear a preacher it would make no difference how God would use that man to preach to you and maybe even preach things that you and your wife talked about coming to church. It would make no difference how much it dealt with your situation in your home or family. You have already been affected by those who don't believe in preachers around the message. So that preacher, I don't care how great he'd be, how anointed he would be, what he would say would have no value to you whatsoever because you have allowed someone to devalue and check that little thing of five-fold ministry that you really don't need it no more. 
Well, praise the Lord. Now, notice this. As we go along and we realize that the Word of God is sent to, in order to shape us and help us to come to our true position of who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, we'll reflect back on the type that we looked at from Genesis 24. And it was Abraham, which was a type of God. And he sent out his loyal servant, which the Bible, I'm sure you've noticed it if you've been reading this, the Bible doesn't actually mention his name. But what it mentions is his position. You'll not find the Bible mentioning the name Eliezer here in Genesis 24. But it mentions his position, which is the servant. And it also identifies him with the loyalty and the trust and the honor which Abraham has given into his hands. Now that speaks volumes to me. I like to look at not what a man says God's given, but I like to look and see what God himself has given to that man's hands and what he's given to that man's charge. That tells me a lot about the way God thinks about it. So what I want to look at is see now how that Abraham in Genesis chapter 24 verse 10, and the servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master and departed for all the goods. Listen to this now. All the goods of his master were in his hand. Now listen, this this man must be trustworthy. Would y'all agree with me? How many people do you know would you give them access to your checking account, your savings account, keys to your automobile, keys to your house, keys to everything you own, all your passwords? Not you. You're the only honest man in this building right now. Now, this must have been a loyal Servant, You would agree with that because everything that Abraham has is committed to this servant's charge. So the servant has access to everything Abraham has. Now, the Bible, Moses, in writing this, does not tell us actually that Abraham sat down and gave a list in order for this servant to take. So we really don't know if there was a conversation that went on with it or if the man himself, it's entrusted to his credibility that he sees all the camels that Abraham has, he sees all the she-asses, he sees all all the possessions, all the wealth, the gold, the silver, um, the garments, and so on. And the man then comes down to this idea, it will take so many servants, if I'm gonna have so much gold, so much silver, I'm gonna need armed servants with me, I will also need a camel for her, I will need a camel for her maiden, no doubt, she's a woman of honor, And so he had to go through all of this that was given. Now, what you notice is all the goods of his master were in his hand. Now, I see in this myself a time of God committing to his men, especially his church-age messengers, all the goods that were in the master's hand for that particular age that they were living. Then God would give to the charge of Paul 
or to the charge of Luther or to the charge of Wesley or Arrhenius or so on and so on, that God would give to the church everything that was needed by which when they walked down there, now remember this whole thing is to find honor. And this man is faced with an awesome responsibility. Get her to believe you. Now remember, gold has no mouth. Silver has no mouth. Camels have a mouth, but they don't speak Hebrew. Purple has no mouth. Ribbons and, and pearls have no mouth. So you've got all these gifts which are going to be the Matan and the Mohar. The Matan and the Mohar but they cannot speak themselves. So you need a man with a voice. Now, the credibility of this entire theme is going to be based on this man. There will not be a bride. Abraham is now too old. And the way they did it in that day, a, a man could not run off and get engaged and bring his wife back. That wasn't the way they worked it. You see, Isaac could not go find a bride for himself. And he's 40 years old. Isaac was 37 once his mother died. He was still in his mother's tent, according to the Bible. Now, Abraham is too old to journey back to Mesopotamia. So he sends who? A servant. A servant that has gifts, signs, wonders, supernatural. Now, again, the Bible condenses its truth and it doesn't tell us all that was passed between Abraham and his servant, but no doubt there must have been an element of instruction. Now, Eliezer, get her to believe you. Because if she does not believe you, she will not come back with you. This whole success of this trip and journey is going to be based on this one thing. She must follow you back home. Praise God. Now, notice then, for all the goods of his master were in his hand, <clears throat> excuse me, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor, which the city of Nahor, Nahor is not the name of the city, but it was Haran. So there they go from Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham does, Abram, and he ventures north into Mesopotamia, which is called the cradle of civilization. So he journeys from the Southland in Ur of the Chaldees, and he comes up into the northeastern part of Mesopotamia into the land of the city of Haran. Haran is one of the oldest cities with current inhabitants on the face of the earth to this day. So there he moves from there and then he starts on his journey toward the promised land. So from where they are now, Abraham, and he sends his messenger forth, it's about 450 miles, which would have taken about a month's journey. 
So this man has gold, he has silver, he has clothes, he has food. He has to carry enough food or enough money to be able to purchase a month's worth of food going, a month's worth of food coming back. Now remember, there were no McDonald's out on the desert. There were no Hardee's, no KFC's. There was no drive-throughs or no pull-throughs. So they would have had to take in enough water and enough wine and food and so on and to make sure that the journey was complete, that in bringing the bride back home, that the bride wouldn't be half starved to death by the time she got raptured. Amen. So there will be food enough for the journey. Praise the Lord. Now what's this in verse 15? And it came to pass before he had done speaking. Now remember he puts this fleece as we call it before the Lord. And he asked the Lord to let the very one that would be uh, the bride for Isaac, let her give him a drink of water and also water the camels. That behold, Rebekah came out who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother was her picture upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin. Neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. Now the Bible chose several terms by which it would define the appearance of women in the Old Testament. One was beautiful, another one was fair. Another one was very fair, and this is, was the words that Moses chose to be able to describe Rebecca. So from this, we get that Rebecca was a stunningly beautiful woman. No doubt Satan had already tried many of the younger men and many of the older men as well, because in this time frame, it was not uncommon at all for a man that was 50, 60, 70, 80 years old to marry 13, 14, 15 year old girls. You didn't know that. Huh? So this woman, no doubt, was a very, very beautiful woman. And Satan had, I imagine, already tried to send all types of young men and middle-aged men and older men around her to try to pollute her morality and the purpose of God in her life, to break her morals, to bring her down to a spot to where that she would be tainted and be affected by this. So, you know, but there was something about Rebecca that was of an outstanding character. Now, she was not only a pretty woman, a beautiful woman, but she also had a beautiful character. And that was she had determined to save her beauty and her body for one man. And that would be the man that she was married to. Well, some of you might as well go ahead and get your handkerchief out because you're going to get red-faced. I don't think that that was just something of the Old Testament. I believe we need young girls in the message, young men in the message, who are also determined they are going to keep themselves for the man or woman that they marry. 
that they are not gonna render sexual favors. They are not gonna do things that's contrary to the modesty that the word of God declares for us to have. Don't you sit there and look at me big eyed Happy Valley. This is something that we need to preach, we need to talk about. It's something you mothers and fathers need to sit down with your children, especially your daughters, and instill to them. And Happy Valley said, why? Because once that is gone from your life, sister, you'll never be able to regain it. And that sorry, low down, outfitting man will go right on and keep doing it to another girl and another girl and another girl. But you see, Rebecca was not only very fair in her countenance, but she had a character that would have helped her. Now remember, she was born a virgin and she could not help being pretty. She could not help being attractive. She could not help. Even her mother and father, when they saw her, they gave her the name Rebecca. Anybody here know what it means? To captivate to captivate. So this woman was such an attractive person that even as a child, when she was born, her beauty was so astounding that her mother and father called her a captivator, that she would captivate those that would look upon her. And I'll tell you one thing, it would take a real woman with character to have those types of looks and still be called a virgin. Now if you think you're gonna freeze me out on this, you're not, I'll preach the whole service on this. The daughters of God ought to have the same determination today that no matter how pretty they are, how attractive they are, the sons of God ought to have the same determination no matter how handsome they are, how others think they're so good looking that they are not gonna sell themselves to some immoral girl, whether she's a message girl or a Baptist girl, makes no difference. Immorality is immorality, whether it sits in our church or the church of Christ. Come on, saints that they ought to be determined. Don't you understand, young people? This is what God has given to you. Your mom and daddy cannot keep you. Bethuel could not have kept her. Nahor could not have kept her. This is the only person that could have kept this to where this scripture could be said about her. Oh, don't you want young men and young women, whenever you stand before that man or woman that you're gonna marry, that the word of God can say about you, you are are a virgin, you are a virgin. You never slept with this and then slept with that one and going from one to another. Come on, don't get quiet on me. It's something we need to talk about and we need to emphasize. Why? Because I know enough of being a pastor to know, don't you sit there and look at me and act like you don't think sexual things can happen among our young people. I know better. Oh my. You imagine what an ability now that this woman, as she become older and older, and she moved into the fullness of her name, the ability to captivate. She could not help being a pretty woman. A man that is a handsome man cannot help from being that. Oh my, a girl that's attractive, she cannot help it. God don't expect you to take a can opener and scratch up and down your face and my smell like a polecat to drive men away from you. You're not overcoming, you just stunk them away, that's all. You ain't overcoming nothing. God wants you to take a bath and take a shower for nothing else for the rest of us folks who can still smell. 
Now I realize some of you folks have lost your smell because of COVID, but believe me, some of the rest of us still smell. We still got our ability to smell. So take a shower for us if for no other reason. Overcoming is not you scarring up your face. Overcoming is not you burying yourself down in a basement somewhere, but it's you, even if you have a captivating beauty or a captivating charisma about you, it's you submitting that into the hands of Almighty God and looking the devil right square in the face and looking all this sexy dress right square in the face and say, I will save my beauty for my husband. I will save my attraction and for my wife. No trespassing devil, leave me alone. Josephus tells us, what is it, chapter 16, paragraph one, that when the servant moved into the city of Haran, he was overwhelmed by the amount of young women that was going to the well. <laughs> of course, women type churches. So he was overwhelmed by all the women that were going to the well. But he knew how to pray a prayer in a certain way that it would be coded. C-O-D-E-D, not C-O-A-T-E-D, coded that only the elect would be able to respond. He might have said it in his heart, never even said it out, but it was something between him and God and the angel of God which had got to the well 30 minutes prior to their visit. Amen. So it could not just be by beauty alone because Josephus says there was many of those daughters of men that were very, very beautiful and attractive. So it's not the beauty of the church, it's the beauty of the character of the people. Amen. So here you imagine that whenever he saw her, that her name was personified out of her being. And he saw her and looking at her, he says she was very, very fair. So she was a captivating type of individual. Oh my. Song of Solomon Chapter one, verse eight. If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. So you see, Christ wants to style or shape or be the bride's designer. You see, when the prophet said that Satan was the woman's designer, he's not insinuating that God and the devil got together and laid out a plan in order to make the woman. He was her designer in the sense of instructing her how to use what she was, but in the wrong way. Why do you think they call many of these clothes today designer clothes? It's easy to see the same designer is still at work. They're so form-fitting or they're so split, they show everything a woman's got. Well, come on, don't sit there and look embarrassed. Carolyn, I was in a place one day this week and there's two men there walking around, one of them looking for a dress for his wife or girlfriend or something, and I heard the other guy tell him, he said, you know, I don't understand women. 
I don't understand them. He said, why in the world they want to dress and it's so indecent? And he said, they want to show everything they've got. I thought, Lord, have mercy. Let me get this man a microphone. Let him preach it in this place. Any man that's got one speck of morality about him knows that's the truth. Well, what in the world would make our message girls want to do the same thing? Are you advertising you've got something to give away or something for sale? But you see here, the Lord Jesus is wanting to shake the bride because her view of herself is not what his view is. He calls her thou fairest among women. So Christ is pleased to style or design his bride because look what she calls herself in verse five. I am black but comely. Now this is actually not defining her color or her race so much, but it is sunburned. Now remember, she was given the care of her mother's flocks and her brother's flocks and they had abused her. And they were using the bride and sending her out in the fields and the, the, the women of that day, of course, that lived in this hot, arid area, uh, the, the rich women was able to stay inside out of the sun and they were able to have more of a, a fair complexion and they were able to anoint their skin with these precious oils. But this girl couldn't afford that. So she was out there keeping the flocks and the sun would beam down and the Mediterranean sun would be in the arid land and her, her skin was dried in parts even though she was a young woman. And she was sunburned and she was darker than her mother, darker than her father, darker than her brothers and she looked at herself and this is the way she designated herself. I am black, I am sunburned. I'm exposed to so much stuff. I, how can I ever be a bride to Christ? How can I ever be this or that? I am so wrinkled by sin. I'm so marred. I'm so affected by the elements that are around me. But you see, in reality, there's nothing that commends us to the Lord Jesus like humility. I'd much rather think this about myself than think I'm just about the greatest preacher that ever walked on the earth. You realize we got some men in this message that feel like they are God's gift to the woman human race. But how does he view her? He does not mention the cracks. He does not mention sunburn. Let us read verse eight again. If thou know not, O thou fairest. You're not just sorta kinda like them, but actually you are the most fair of any woman I have ever seen. Now you see the Shulamite needed these words from the bridegroom in order to reshape 
her sinking about herself because she would approach his courts. She would approach his august courts and his great omnipotence was this image of herself. I am sunburned, I'm low down, I'm rotten, I'm no good, I'm so wrinkled, I'm so tainted by sin. Oh, I could never look him in the face. Oh God, don't kill me, oh God, don't kill me. But he sends his word to elevate her that she can believe what he says about her instead of what she says about herself. Oh my. Now she could look in the mirror and she sees sunburns, she sees wrinkles, she sees dry skin, she sees faults and flaws. Others could look at her and see so many issues. And he looks at her and says, Oh, my fair one, my beloved, you are as beautiful as tears are. And as comely as Jerusalem. And she said, Who are you looking at? Well, my darling, my sweetheart, I'm looking at you. Glory to God. Notice Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 4. Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirzah, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. You see, Tirzah, probably many of you don't even remember reading about Tirzah in the Bible. Tirzah is one of the most beautiful cities of the ancient civilization. It was actually... Canaanite city. It was one that was renowned for its beauty. I love the meaning of this word, Tirza. It means grace. So may I add to this woman, Miss Grace, that she's not only Miss Grace, but she's Miss Peace. Miss Tirza and Miss Jerusalem. Remember, Shulamite is the feminist form of Solomon. So Shulasmith is the way they actually were said in the Hebrew. The Shulasmith was the feminist form of Solomon. Can you imagine her ever coming to a spot that she would allow herself to be called Mrs. Solomon? Notice this again in verse five. Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. That word there means taken me by storm. (laughs) Could you imagine the eyes of the bride when she looks at him by faith? She actually conquers the Lord Jesus. Hell could not hold him. Death could not hold him. And yet you conquer him. Not that Christ has weakness, 
This is the act of his great kenosis. His act of condescension that he would relate to the way he feels about you. The way a man would feel about a woman. In the way this is written, he's writing it in such a way. And Solomon himself so moved by the Shulamith that he's so moved upon that just by seeing her or seeing a portion of her garments. If he would see one little piece of her garment or a necklace or a ring that she wore and see it laying on the nightstand. She had so captivated him, he went all to pieces. Glory to God. It's amazing how some people would look at this as weakness. Oh, but I see it as condescending grace. You see, the world looks at us and say we're crazy, man followers, cult, whatever more. But when the Lord Jesus looks at us as following his word, which he has allocated to us for the day, and we follow him by faith, our eyes looking toward the promised word, and the Lord Jesus standing right there behind the promise, and he looks in our eyes and sees this pulsation of faith, and he said, turn your head from me. You're killing me. You're overwhelming me. You're taking me by storm. Get rid of your slave mentality. Get rid of your no good, rotten, sorry, good for nothing mentality. We've got to move up if we're going to move up. I said we've got to move up if we're going to move up. You imagine that the bride's eyes of faith, conquest, makes such a conquering conquest of the heart of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Glory to God. It's as if though, hey, he's overpowered. He's overpowered by the faith and the power and the constitution of his people. He's just made weak. I'm about to faint. I'm getting my handkerchief here. Angels, come and fan me. My bride loves me. My bride adores me. My bride believes me. My bride trusts me. She's got victory in the time of storm. She rejoices when she ought to be crying. Her faith overwhelms me. Rebecca had such an awe about her. She could captivate. Imagine when Eliezer her sorry said, What a bride. What a bride. And then it hit him. I'll no longer call you church. Hallelujah. But I'll call you Miss Jesus Christ. 
Song on Solomon chapter four, verse nine. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart. With just one of your eyes. Just one of your eyes has torn me to pieces. You've got my heart, girl. You've got my home, girl. You've got my life. And to the pride, he can say, you've got my soul, girl. Can't you see why the church writes such songs? Oh, I don't understand why he loved me so. How could he ever love me? Who am I? Oh, I don't understand. Oh, I've spent all my lifetime trying to understand. Of course they will. They're not sitting under what you're sitting under. They've not heard the message of Eliezer. But you see, when she hears it right, and when she hears it well, when he calls her sister, she will say, Yes, my brother. My sister. My spouse. I love the way he says this. You have ravished my heart. And in the Hebrew, this means you have made my heart beat faster. I am so desirous of thy company. I don't guess I'll ever forget it as long as I'm in my right mind. In Kentucky, many, many years ago, and I saw this pretty little girl. Long hair. And it was love at first sight. Not so much for her. Now, it took her a little while. <laughs> I knew she'd come around. <laughs> Here we have been together 47 years. Now my heart, it ain't in as good shape as it was then. It's still pretty good, thank the Lord. I can't move about as fast as I could. And I'm going to tell you one thing. That woman right there still makes my heart beat fast. You imagine the Lord Jesus if he could step up this morning on the banister and he could say, Donnie, move out of the way. Let me tell her. And he could say to you, little bride, you make my heart 
beating so fast. Your eyes of faith, your eyes of love, your eyes of understanding overwhelm me. It's actually the Lord God became overwhelmed by the first man in the Garden of Eden. The prophet explains this to us how that he come down and he was overwhelmed by that love of Adam for his wife. God is eternal spirit. How could he relate to such? But he wanted to understand how does a man feel to give up his kingdom, his godship for a woman? So he found out himself. So he come to the earth and stepped out of his godship, stepped out of his sonship, and become a sinner. For what? A woman. Not just any woman. His woman. You see, the effect of the bride's love on the bridegroom was so powerful. Her eyes mesmerizing grace. What does he say when he looks in it? What does he, Brother Donnie, what do you mean? What does he say when he looks in me? He sees in you his gifts. What does he, he looks in his eyes and he sees grace. How could that be? Because he put grace in my eyes. Well, if I've got grace, I've not only got it for me, I've got it for my brothers and sisters who trespass against me. Oh, some of you want fires full of grace when it comes to your wrong. What about those that do you wrong? Have you got as much grace for them as God's got for you? Imagine Solomon as he would walk into her room. And she was gone. And that was her handkerchief. Oh. Oh. I'm sure glad to smell better than this. You ever smelled a preacher's sweat? You imagine? Oh, my beloved is, oh, she's like a myrrh, frankincense. Oh, he just sat there and just hold that handkerchief. I told you before, whenever I'm going to go hunting, <clears throat> I'm going to be gone for a week or so. Carol will take one of my old cotton t-shirts, sleep with it every night. I said, what do you do that for? She said, it smells like you. You see, when I preached the Lord Jesus to a lot of the denominational churches today, I wouldn't have got this far as I have with you because they would have thrown me out. Because when I preached to them, my Lord Jesus, the way I see him, he'd stink in their nose. When I preached the bride the way I see her, you'd stink in their nose. But you see, the bride knows his smell. 
There's something about his aroma. Glory be to God. The bride knows his smell and he knew yours. He knew what you could smell like. He knew what you should smell like and he knew the state you was in when he found you but he knew if he could get you to the washing of the water by the word and get you washed off and get you bathed and perfumed. He says, thou hast ravished my heart, my sister. I know this seems odd for us, Western thinking. But you see, the sister to them, and this term was one of affection used for a man's wife. The church actually is the sister of Jesus Christ. You say, how can you say that? Two points. He became our brother in humanity. We became his sister in divinity. (laughs) We have. He calls eternal God Father. I call him Father. This is why Hebrews 2.11, why he is not ashamed to call them brethren or sisters. You see, this is why she goes on to say in Song of Solomon chapter eight, she said, all that thou work, my brother. Why? Because in that day, it was, it was esteemed unclean. It was not esteemed right for a man to kiss his wife in public but her brother could kiss his sister in public and they thought nothing about it. She said, oh, that you had been my brother. Then you could kiss me in public. Well, if you understand who you are today, he is your husband and he is your brother. So it's not immoral for me to kiss the son right in front of you all lest he be angry. It's not immoral for you to worship him, to adore him, to bless his name. It's not immoral, in the, you understand what I'm saying, for him to come right down among us and pull us into his very embrace and whisper to us why we are his sister. Genesis 24, 21, and the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands and ten shekels weight of gold. You see, in bestowing This jewelry upon captivating, he is claiming her to be the wife of his master. She just got engaged. (laughs) 
And she, he said, notice now, and said, whose daughter art thou, tell me? I pray thee, is there room in your church for such a message? What about Happy Valley? We still have room for the message and the prophet. Now I want you to notice how she introduces herself. She doesn't say, I'm church of God, I'm, I'm this and that, the other, I'm, I'm, I'm. I want you to notice the bride's answer. <laughs> and she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She doesn't even give her name. But she answers him in a coded way, C-O-D-E-D, coded way. Abraham, no doubt, instructed this man. My brother is Nahor. His wife is this, and the son is this, and this, and this. So she's standing right there speaking of the genealogies. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... Here he's standing saying, yes, that's what my master said. Yes, that's her grandfather. Yes, that's her mother. Yes, that's her daddy. And says, I want you to know you are privileged to this. I am Rebecca. I am Rebecca. How are you, sir? Bow down and worship me. But instead, she shows him who she is from where she come from. <laughs> oh. Instead of her own name, the name of her father and grandmother. They hardly ever even mention the women. I'll tell you one thing. If you think women don't have a place in the truth, you're crazy. There's women all down through the Bible. And let me just go ahead and say it to you this way. It ain't the denominations that give the women their proper place by letting them wear miniskirts and bob their hair and paint their face. It's the real servants of God following the message of the hour that place them as they are queens in God's economy. We don't strip them off and let them have their beauty as a wholesale trick of the devil, but we place them according to the word. Where would we be if it was not for Rebecca? Where would we be if it was not for Ruth? Verse 28. I got close. Man, I was hoping to get her to Isaac's tent this morning, but we ain't gonna make it. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. And you imagine when they see her come in and she's got bracelets. She's got earrings. She's actually wore a nose ring. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. That's what she wore. And when her family sees her, you remember the name Laban? If you don't remember, that's Jacob. When Laban saw the gold and the silver, here goes banker Laban, straight out to the well. Praise God. Notice this. Verse 29, and Rebekah had a brother and his name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the bank. 
And it came to pass when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hand, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. He has now given to Rebekah what is known as the Matan, M-A-T-T-A-N, the bride price. Verse 53, we'll close here momentarily. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her and to her mother precious things, her brother and her mother. So Eliezer gave Rebekah special gifts from the groom to the bride. Now watch, here's the espousal. So gifts are given there at the well. But then he gives her more personalized gifts as they move on into the betrothal and the engagement. Now he delivers the Matan. These are special gifts directly from the bridegroom. And remember, Isaac was a wealthy man. Let me tell you something, little bride. Your husband, the Lord Jesus, is a wealthy God. As a matter of fact, he's the only one there is. The Matan could be cash, property, gold, silver, but it always would be something personal. Now, these other gifts were from the messenger, but you see, in the messenger was also veiled the voice of the bridegroom. Oh, glory to God. So the messenger had gifts that were given to him to prove who he was. And then he carried special gifts of the revealing of the Son of Man or the bridegroom <laughs> that the bride could say, I'm not just your Eliezer. Oh my God, I'm hearing the voice of Isaac. I'm hearing the voice of Isaac through this man. This is a personalized gift. This comes straight, straight from Isaac. To me, this is my personal new birth, my Matan. Oh, you imagine his matan must have contained silver, gold, garments of purple, sumptuous delicacies of food. Now, we, we look at it different in our day. Man, we rally around Brother Louie out there with them little Debbies, and we think, such sumptuous. Them things ain't good for you. You know that. <laughs> Buddy, I hate to ruin your business, but it's the truth. Any dollar store sells the same thing. Any Walmart sells the same thing. He was not giving her what she could give the local market. It was something that come from another land. The land that flowed with milk and honey, dates and raisins, all types of precious oils and ointments. And it would be a package, especially for the bride, that would be given to her, not between her and the messenger, not between her and the preachers, but an invisible union through the Matan. Glory to God. Through the Matan delivered to her by the gifted man of God to say, if I would have one purpose on the earth, it would help people to have a deeper experience, a closer walk with God. Brother Brandon did not come to make us follow him. He wanted to point us to Jesus Christ. He delivered the Matan to the bride.
because the talks were favorable. Now he gives the bride's family the Mohar. M-O-H-A-R. Precious things. Wasn't actually from the bridegroom himself. Just kind of a little something that Eliezer knew would help the Pentecostals and the Baptists and so on. Don't you see why the token life is the matan for the bride? Lots of folks was in Brother Ram's meetings and got healed. A lot of folks. It's amazing to me how many people I hear in Pentecost and secular people are putting up thoughts about Brother Branham and how they got healed. And we got these folks that are pulling away from the message and leaving it. And we got some of these charismatics and Pentecostals calling him a prophet of God. And saying that he prophesied and he was a true prophet. They say, oh, now ignore some of his teaching. That's why we say, oh, no. If he's a true prophet of God, that was only vindication that the teaching was correct. But they still won't get the Matan because the Matan is the token. And the token is not tapes. The token is not a guitar. It's not an organ. It's not a preacher. The token is the literal life of Jesus Christ coming back into the bride. Imagine Brother Branham when he preaches it in 1963 and he says, Desperation. There's one more thing laying in front of the church. One more thing laying in front of the church. And you must not miss it. You must not miss it. What was it? The token message. That's why I could say it's token time for me. It's token time for you. Why some of his people, the many of them Pentecostals, they were sitting there with the baptism of the Holy Ghost on their spirit, but it had never moved over into the place of the soul. But with the coming of Christ Jesus, glory be to God. We're not, we're not going to marry Brother Brown, friends. You're not going to marry me. I want to be married to the Lord Jesus. Let's stand. I'm sorry we run out of time. I really shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. Genesis 24, 56. After the, all the gifts are exchanged and all this goes on, he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord has pro- prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called captivating and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? Now, let me just give you a little insight before I tell you her response. Rebecca is a 16-year-old girl. Adds a new light, don't it? 16 years old. I told Carol the other day, saying this, I said, You've always reminded me a lot of Rebecca, and now I understand why it's a little closer. You were 16 when you said, I'll go. (laughs) Now, how many of you parents, don't raise your hand, would allow your 16-year-old daughter 
to go jump on a plane or a car, as we'd say in our day. He shows up at your house today, tells you that he's from your lost uncle so-and-so that's over in so-and-so. He got rich on selling taters and maters and pumpkins, cucumbers. He's looking for something. Oh, he's got all kinds of information. You can get that off the internet. In the morning, he said, now, I want to go. I want to go. Don't you enter me now. I want to go. And you call your 16-year-old girl. She says, I'm going with you. She says, no, you're not. You get in your room right now before I beat the fire out of you, girl. What in the world? How in the world could this woman, a girl, Isaac is 40. It shows how, don't misunderstand me. It shows how immature they were when they lived so long. This man is 40 years old, and he's not even moved out of his mother's tent yet. Well, think of it. It shows at 40 years old how immature some men were. And still are. Amen, Brother Donnie. Glory to God, Brother Donnie. Preach it, buddy. I'm with you. How could she be so mature? At 16. Where did she get this? You see, she had a special hidden messenger, the angel of God. I realize, friends, a lot of folks, when they hear this message, they just hear the voice of a Kentuckian, and then they get tired of it, and they go to finding faults and flaws and this and that and the other. I'm so glad I heard more than a voice of a Kentuckian. Well, Brother Bram says some of his English and all that, it's, it's the way we talk. Brother Bram wasn't born that far from where me and Harry was born, out there in Kentucky. So a lot of the stuff that he says, I've had brothers overseas in different parts of the world say, Brother Donnie, what did Brother Branham mean that you'd crawl under a concrete block with a 10-gallon hat on and never touch it? Can you imagine trying to explain that in, in African language? Some of y'all looking at me funny too. What country are you from? But I heard more than Kentucky lingo. I heard the seventh angel's message. And it didn't make me fall in love with him and want to marry him. But I hear him pointing me back to my Isaac. Praise the Lord. You see, the people of her home city worship the moon god whose name was sin. That's what they called their god, the moon god. And what had sin done for Rebecca? If she would have continued to follow sin, let me bring it to you today. What did sin do for you? But aren't you glad you turned away from sin? Not to worship the moon God, but to worship the almighty God. Whether you're 16 or 60 or 70, will you go? Will you go? Will we remain faithful? Will we just stay right on the back of this camel until one day we look out on the field and say, who is he? that cometh to meet us. And Eliezer said, it is my master. The Bible tells us she lied. 
This ain't like jumping off of the back of a Shetland pony. We're talking about a camel. That some of them would stand eight feet tall between their humps. She did not wait for him to lower it down. He had told her so much about her husband. She flew off in mid-air. She was a changed woman. Praise God. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us from our worship of the sin, God. Thank you, Lord. Many of us were already Christians before we heard the message, and no doubt many of these people were not. They got saved in a message church. But for those of us that were already Christians, we'd already experienced you, and we'd walked with you somewhat, but you were so veiled. Lord, I've told it to him before. When I begin to hear Brother Branham talk about you, it opened up you in a way to me that I'd never heard before. Oh, Jesus, I love you now more than ever. If I live, then a few months, Lord, I'll turn 65 years old. 65 years old. To me, I've been serving you, Lord, since I was a 12-year-old boy. And you're sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Oh, hallelujah. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Shape my thinking. Be my designer, oh my God. Be my stylist. Style my thinking to think like you. Be my designer. Design my life. Design my behavior in a way to please you, my Lord. Hallelujah. That I can say, when you say to me, my sister, I will answer and say, yes, my brother. When you will say, my spouse, I will answer back, yes, my Lord, my lover, my King. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I worship you, Lord Jesus. Your hand is around us today. We're sitting at the table, and the banners flying over us are banners of love. Oh, hallelujah. His banner over us is love. We look at you and smile. And you look at our eyes and say, Bride, turn away. You're making my heart race so fast. I see you in this oppression being faithful. I see you in distress being true. It makes my heart beat rapidly. Because I long to be in your presence. 
in a corporal body with you. Sweet Jesus. Lord, I know the times I've been gone from Carol and from the girls and one of the longest times, about 20, 21 days, something like that, over in Africa. I could talk to them and hear the voice over the phone. But how happy I was that day, Lord, when I was able to step off the airplane and me grab them and them grab me and hug them and them kiss me and me kiss them. Oh, Jesus, it's been wonderful as I've had this journey along the way. But how I long to have a body that'll be like yours. That I'll be able to bow down at your feet. I'm going to turn and look behind me that day and see these saints that you put into my charge. None of them with glasses on. None of them with gray hair. None of them crippled. But there they are standing behind me. And we're standing behind the messenger of the age as he presents us to you as trophies of your grace. You'll speak to us. Come, my sister. Come, my spouse. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed God. Don't let a one of us be missing, Jesus. I don't want to wait till then to love you. But I want to love you with all my capacity now. May I give you everything I am. My Lord Jesus. How many would say with me today, you want to love him more? You just want to love him more. Want to serve him better. More sincerity. Praise God. I worship you, Jesus. I adore you, Lord God. You who stepped down from the great realm of the eternal to take upon yourself our brotherhood our kinsman redeemer you became us that we might become you thank you father then help us when we look with our prayers with our petitions not to look with eyes of fear with eyes that are distraught but may we look with eyes of faith and when you look back May our eyes of faith be so overwhelming and so powerful that they overwhelm your heart and make your heart race. Because we ought to be in such despair and we ought to be down and we ought to be so discouraged. But instead, our eyes are pulsating beams of faith anointed with light and fire. And you look upon it and you say, oh, you've ravished my heart. Praise God. We worship you, Jesus. And he loves him today. With all your heart. You love him with all your heart. If you don't, give him all your heart today. Let's just worship a little before we, before we go. Can we, hey? Sing something for us here. Hallelujah. When the music fades and all is stripped away, 
And I simply come, Lord Jesus, longing just to bring. Oh yes, Lord, something, something that's a worse that will bless your heart. I bring you more than a song for a song in itself. Is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. It's all about you, oh, it's all about you, Jesus. King of endless is not what you 
it's all about you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
It's Jesus I really want to see in you and me. It's Jesus I really want to see. They say praise the Lord. Amen. I always thought I was on that camel train with them, didn't you? It was surreal this morning. Did you enjoy church today? Praise the Lord. Won't it be a time? Just before we go this morning, let's sing this with Brother Joel. Won't it be a time when we get to Papa's house? Praise the Lord. Just turn around and look at somebody. Tell them, God bless you, my brother, my sister. Sing about it, Brother Joel. I said, won't it be a time? You say this as you go today.
were new I looked at my dancing feet And you know they were too This is a place I can have a mighty good time Won't have to worry about you Sing it with me. Ooh. 